As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode... Chelsea win game, score goal. Seriously. As well as reflecting on Brighton, we'll look ahead to Monday's short hop along the Thames. And glory be, it's the return of the champions as the WSL season gets underway this weekend. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. I see now to Martin, trying to feed it through to Cole Palmer. That's a lovely ball. Chance for Jackson! And Nicholas Jackson scores for Chelsea! A huge moment for him, a huge moment for the club. They have got a goal in September. It's Nicholas Jackson with it. It's Chelsea 1, Brighton 0. I think it's really important to build our confidence. Always it's important to uh, go through to a competition that... Uh, we can we can you know be involved until to the end, and important for the for our player and for the fans uh, to feel again the victory. And I think I speak for everybody listening to this podcast when I say, "Phew, that was much needed." Uh, Liam Toomey and Don Firefield are with me for today's show. Liam, you are at Stamford Bridge on what for us is last night. Are you still staggered, amazed, relieved? I'm still trying to process what I heard at the full time whistle. Is it? What do they call it? A cheer? <laughs> it's a big one. Amazing. Amazing. The restorative powers of the Carabao Cup. Dom, I'm a big League Cup over FA Cup guy. Is that an opinion that, that you hold to? Are you only asking me? Because my team are not in the League Cup anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be always always more FA Cup. But I have to say that as people have been have made out, the League Cup, when you... When you're a top flight team, okay, if you're in Europe, it's even better. But if, if you're a top flight team and you get some kind draws in the first few rounds, you're suddenly almost in sight of Wembley just like that, which is which seems, yeah, it sort of creeps up on you a bit. Not that it ever happens to Palace, but... Um, <laughs> One day. There's no pomposity with the League Cup. That's what I like about it. It's not like, oh, magic tradition. Oh, you change your team, everyone goes, look at all these young players who are playing. Not this is so disrespectful. <laughs> and you can wear a T-shirt to the early rounds. Yeah, every year's League Cup is not a referendum on the concept of the League Cup. True. It had no magic to lose, apparently. So there, is, there are no po-faced debates. Let's just play some football. 
Yeah, and who doesn't love the fact that the man of the match in the final gets awarded the Alan Hardacre trophy? Uh, anyway, we should probably talk about the game because Chelsea actually won it. It was Chelsea versus Brighton at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night. Liam and I were there. Here's Liam's voice note. Can you feel that, people? The lemons are turning. Chelsea win. Only the third time we've been able to say that this season. And I make that the first good team they've beaten at home since Borussia Dortmund, which is absolutely incredible. This was a heavily changed Brighton side, but so was the one that absolutely battered Manchester United at Old Trafford. They're just a good team. Beating them is always an achievement, and Chelsea worked hard for this. I think on reflection, they were good value for it. It was a tight game. Both teams had some good chances. Both teams had some real self-inflicted wounds or near wounds. Don't ask any Chelsea fans about Robert Sanchez tonight. At one point, his pass completion looked like it was below 50% and he was getting an even harder time from the Matthew Hardings fans uh, than the Brighton fans when they switched ends. But Chelsea edged it and I think deservedly so. They produced the best move of the night to win the game. Nice little pass from Ian Matson, wonderful control, and then a slipped ball through the legs from Cole Palmer. And the kind of finish that we saw from Nicholas Jackson in the pre-season. Instinctive, one touch, clinical. That really seemed to lift him. He even had the ball in the net again later in the second half, and he ran off. Uh, into the corner and celebrated for about 30 seconds before he suddenly realised that it had been disallowed. There were a lot of nervy moments towards the end. Jao Pedro fired a, a volley over shortly after Ben Chilwell seemed to get injured when leading a counter-attack. He couldn't even finish the game despite Chelsea being out of substitutes and only having a couple of minutes left. That's a worry. We're conditioned with Ben Chilwell to to be extra concerned when he goes down like that. So we'll have to see what the severity is. Chelsea didn't get everything they needed tonight. The performances of a couple of players and a couple of aspects will probably still concern Pochettino a little bit, but they got what they needed most, which was that winning feeling back. As you point out, Liam, that, that is the first proper home win against a, a decent opponent since Dortmund and that was in March six months and three coaches ago um, they didn't get everything they wanted but they got what they needed most it, it was a deserved win wasn't it just about just about I think if it had been a little bit clearer we might have heard one step beyond at the final whistle it wasn't quite that emphatic Brighton had a lot of chances they caused a lot of danger some of that was caused by Chelsea Robert Sanchez's passing at times caused utter dismay in the Matthew Harding lower. But they got there. They kept pushing. They kept working. They matched Brighton's intensity all over the pitch. It was a really feisty game, much more feisty than you, you're used to seeing, I think, in the early rounds of the domestic cups, particularly where supposedly big clubs are involved. But Pochettino said afterwards that it was a must-win game. And that was the way Chelsea approached it. And you could see that. I think you could see their desperation. And it, it fit the situation, given 
how the start to the season has been. This was what my match piece was about. They needed to work to change their their luck and to build their confidence. And they got just about what, what they needed. And Jackson took his goal well. Yeah, he took two of them well. Only one of them counted, mind you. Uh, we asked for some tweets, or Lucy did, and she put another great gif out, continuing to to run the game in that regard. Five four three two one CFC says, given our position in the league right now, City knocked out, and either Newcastle or United to follow. Is the League Cup now our best route back into Europe? Um, Dom, it's probably worth pointing out that the winner of the League Cup goes into the playoff round for the Conference League, so maybe Chelsea could be a little bit more ambitious than that but from a Chelsea perspective it's just nice to be able to talk about actually succeeding in something it feels like it's been a minute <laughs> yeah why not and and to be honest any route into Europe is is worth pursuing even even if previous years of the, the heights have been the ambitions have been slightly higher um it was all about just getting a win under the belts and and when you get drawn again I think got Blackburn in the next round championship opposition again who have struggled to score goals in the league a fair bit this season, um, even if they have found the net quite a lot in the League Cup. But you still look at that as an opportunity to get beyond that round as well. And and then you're really into the latter stages. Uh, I think whenever Manchester City go out of this competition, I think all the all the other Premier League clubs sit up and take notice. And there's a there's a chance here. So so they should they should treat it as a as a means of bolstering confidence as Liam said and wrote in his match piece as well, it was just about getting a win under the belts, uh, restoring a bit of confidence, getting a bit more momentum, a bit more belief. That's what Chelsea need at the moment. It's it's almost as if they're starting on ground zero a bit and they're, they're having to just build up. Um, and that was a, a, a even against a second string Brighton team. I mean, given that Roberto De Zerbi has been speaking about having two elite squads at Brighton, and I'm probably biased here as well, but I think you beat Brighton. It's still a big result at the moment. It's that's a reflection of how well they've done in in recent years, and how others maybe have dropped off. But but uh, to get a, a win against them and keep a clean sheet, however however fortunate that might be, and how much you've relied on your goalkeeper to do it uh, at times, then you take that. Go and ask Manchester United about playing Brighton second string. We're only yeah. two weeks removed from them getting battered at Old Trafford, aren't we? Yeah, and it was a team, you know, that contained the likes of Ansu Fati and Mitoma and Joao Pedro, Estepinian, Tarek Lamptey. They weren't mugs by any means. Um, in terms of Chelsea, Liam, five changes from Saturday. Kukurea, Chilwell, Mugachukwu, Palmer and Matson coming in. Uh, 4-2-3-1 was the formation with, with Mark Kukurea at right back. And in the first half, it looked like he, he was struggling against Karim Mitoma. But the second half, he was a, a man transformed. Uh, his best appearance in a, in a Chelsea shirt on in the wrong position, would you say? It's a relatively low bar. I'm trying to comb my brain. Liverpool away, he was good last season. But I think this was... He certainly seemed to get the crowd on side, didn't he? Which might be significant for him, I guess. Well, it didn't look like it was going to be that way early on because the first thing I remember was Matoma standing him up and then just absolutely roasting him to the byline. And you thought, this is going to be a really long evening. And I actually... I, I felt for Kukurea because as well as being low on confidence and very short of rhythm. He still hasn't played a Premier League minute, I believe. He was having to deal with Matoma and an overlapping Estupinian on that side. And Matson tried to to help out, but there, were, there was only so much he could do. But he, he grew into the game. And I think in, in some ways, his performance was kind of Chelsea's performance in, in microcosm because it was 
founded on effort over quality even you know he his passing wasn't great he did make mistakes but his effort level never wavered i think he made nine tackles in the game which was by far the most in in chelsea's team he set the tone i think he snapped into more tackles as the game went on i've always thought that there's an element of being a competent premier league fullback which is just being a bit of a dick which is why Ashley Young was able to do it <laughs> late on in his career. You just be physical and rough up the winger uh, and that can work for you. And, and Kukurea definitely did a bit of that. It, playing in an unfamiliar position, I think I think he did well. Um, when I first saw the team, my initial thought was three left backs, your move to Zerbi. <laughs> this, this football pioneer. I, I mean, it could have been four, couldn't it? If we're counting Levi Colwell as a left back. Yeah, three and a half. Hmm. certainly three and a half but yeah Kukurea did well I mean he might even get an opportunity at left back now in the next couple of weeks we'll see whether Pochettino puts Colwell back there but it it certainly appears that Ben Chilwell is going to be out for a period of time you know hamstrings do not heal in days and the fact that he couldn't even finish that game despite the fact Chelsea had no substitutes to bring on mentioned in the voice note that's always a worry uh so we'll we'll see what happens with that but positive night for kukurea the, the crowd responded to him i thought the crowd responded to mudrick as well got a rousing ovation when he came off again really sort of effort-based shift from him jackson had a few tough moments he dribbled the ball out of play in the first half but he kept chugging away and and, and i think scored two legal goals his second one looked like it was a yard on side but Last night was a a delve back into the world of pre-VAR, for better and worse. Yeah, it was a, a couple of strange decisions on that, actually. David says, curious on what the chaps thought about the refereeing and our referees over-reliant on VAR because they made a couple of atrocious decisions. Uh, Breuer being given offside in his own half was probably the standout one for me. Is that a genuine issue, do you think, Dom, or does it not really matter at Chelsea's level of football? Because, what, it's only this competition until you get to the semi-final where they're going to play a game without VAR, isn't it? You know what? I think in time it will become a a thing and, and, and referees probably, in the same way that cricket umpires, sorry, Liam, but cricket umpires have undoubtedly become over-reliant upon DRS over the years and, and almost err on the side of caution every time there's an LBW appeal, unless it's absolutely plumb. Um, I, I wonder whether that will happen with, with rest again, but with, with Thomas Bramall last night, I don't think he's a particularly experienced referee. I'm not sure how many Premier League games, if any, that he's, he's done over the years. So he wouldn't have necessarily have relied too much on VAR in the past, if at all. The one Premier League game he's done is Liverpool Bournemouth, where he sent off, Alexis McAllister, right, and then it, it got, got overturned. Yeah, after, yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, he's he's obviously finding his feet in into that level of fixture uh, as well. And there were some odd ones. I mean, I think the one that you highlighted, Matt, was the player running from his own half. Uh, into so was that Brozier running from his own half, and that was flagged offside. But that's obviously an error that's been made by the assistant on the on the side. The one that that stood out for me, was Ugachukwu's second bookable, which might have actually been, might have been bordering a, a red card in itself for the the challenge on Belaber, just, I think it was in first half stoppage time. 
Um, but I, I look back on the replays and actually to play devil's advocate a bit on that, I think um, uh, Santos de Paula was actually standing in the way of the referee and, and he, he couldn't actually see the challenge going in, which again is, is you, know, you could argue is poor positioning on his part, possibly, but you know, at that stage, uh, he but it was a nasty challenge. And I think with VAR, then Chelsea, he would definitely have there would have been a risk that, that Chelsea would have been down to 10 men for that second half with the game nil nil, and we'd have been sitting here talking about a very different occasion. Mm. All right, so as Liam's mentioned, Ben Chilwell went off injured. Chelsea had only used four subs. I think it was because they'd used the three substitution windows that they couldn't bring on a replacement for him. But yeah, he's a doubt for Fulham. What about Noni Madueke, Liam? Mr. Pochettino asked about him in the in the post-match press conference. He's fit, but he was not selected. Yeah, slightly strange one. Pochettino did not elaborate. His press conference was pretty much the same length as the voice note that we played from me at the start of this pod. So all we got from him on Madueki was that it was about choice, about selection. Uh, but the kind of curt way that he said it suggested there may be something disciplinary going on with Madueki. We know there were stories about him going to a club in the tabloids quite recently. No idea if that's what this is, but it certainly seems that he was overlooked for this game despite being fully fit. And that's not ideal for him, really, given that this would have been one of his best avenues to get exposure in the first team. He's not in the the first choice starting eleven for the Premier League. And, and now it looks like, I think with what he's done in the last couple of games, although it's the opposite side, if you're talking about wingers, Mudrick has jumped ahead of him. I think you'd have to say Cole Palmer has jumped ahead of him with the way that he's performed. I think it's only a matter of days before we see him make his first Premier League start, given how well he's played for Chelsea since he's arrived off the bench. So it's looking quite tricky for, for Madueki at the moment. He's going to have to work hard to get Pochettino's trust and, and earn his way back in. Not ideal for, for Madueke, Dom. I, I wonder if actually in a strange way, it's not the worst thing for Maurizio Pochettino because he gets to kind of stamp his authority publicly and privately on his squad, but it's with somebody who Liam says is not in the team anyway. So it's not like he's got to make a big statement by dropping, I don't know, Thiago Silva or Enzo Fernandez because of a disciplinary breach in his eyes. But he can kind of say, look, I've been... Mr. Nice Guy so far, but if you cross me, this is what will happen. Yeah, if that's the case, I suppose you could argue that. I don't, I'm not sure that's necessarily a sensible thing to do in, in terms of how you're viewed by your squad, particularly when you've got a very, very young squad to work with all the time. I mean, but we don't know the ins and outs on this yet, so we have to be slightly careful as to um, why the player hasn't been involved in this in this fixture. I mean, the... the, the with Madueke, you know, bought for a lot of money, albeit in the context of Chelsea spending, I guess it's all relative. But a player that who left Tottenham Hotspur to go to the Netherlands to pursue his career with PSV because it was slightly, there were fewer distractions there. I think he's spoken about that in the past compared to London. The idea was that he came back maturer um, and and better able to deal with those distractions that, that, that might be around the capital. If indeed that is the reason that, that, that 
he's he's lost his place and then that would be very disappointing particularly given Chelsea's plight but as I say we, we're speculating here we don't we don't know the reasons when he was at Stamford Bridge last night at least he wasn't like banned from the premises or anything he was around um so yeah, to see what I think we have to see what comes out over that in the next few days. But look, Pochettino's known for his man management. I don't think he would do things lightly on on this. I don't. I, maybe we shouldn't jump to too many conclusions on it either. Uh, let, let's just see what let's just see what comes out in the next few days. Okay, so potential disciplinary matter for him, and also Liam for Reese James. Uh, the FA announcing yesterday that he's been charged with a breach of FA Rule E3. This following the game against Villa on Sunday, alleged the defender used improper and/or insulting and/or abusive words and/or behaviour towards a match official in the tunnel after the game. He's got until Friday to respond. Um, I'm guessing the club haven't said anything on this, and and we'll just wait and see and what he might get a ban or a fine or something, but it's clearly not going to kick in until he's available for selection anyway. Maybe he was just taking the only the captain is allowed to talk to the ref directive a bit too enthusiastically. Yeah, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with this yet. We don't know what James said. Uh, It must have been something of substance to merit this charge because usually referees have a degree of tolerance for players having a conversation or even directing a little bit of anger towards them. It has to be something real to get into a referee's report. I didn't get a chance to ask him. He was in the press room at Stamford Bridge last night with a few of the other Chelsea players at halftime, but didn't get a chance to ask him what, what he'd said or or how his injury's doing. So we'll see what the time frame is. But clearly anything that threatens to keep him out beyond the problems he's already got with his body is not ideal for Chelsea, given how important he is and the fact that that Gusto is also suspended. So we'll see what comes of this. Hopefully for Chelsea's sakes, it's not a significant punishment. That seems like a fine though, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like a yeah a suspension. And even, even if it is a suspension, it would probably be served whilst he's injured anyway. I don't think you can retrospectively, oh, you need medical proof that you're fit before you can actually start serving a suspension. So this. And I think, Dom, you'd have a better idea of this maybe than I would, but I th- I'm pretty sure with these kind of rules, like with e- with Rule E3, which is the one that James has been charged with breaching, they tend to take prior offences into account as well, which is why Mourinho always got hammered and Diego Costa always got hammered. Reese James has not amassed that kind of, uh, that kind of track record yet. No, and, and whilst I don't think any of us here would condone abuse of officials I mean it's a terrible terrible look that generally speaking particularly if you're in civvies and you're not being involved in the game and you've just bumped into the referee in the tunnel or indeed gone out and looked for him in the tunnel um however I think with with Reese James it must be life must be pretty frustrating at the moment watching from the outside um injured wanting to be stamping his authority as captain on a on Prochettino's squad and being a, a major part in reviving this team and this club after everything they've gone through in the last 12 months. And he can't. He's sat there watching the latest 1-0 home defeat to to a team that Chelsea in the past would have, you know, considered to be well, there for the taking. So I imagine it's just a build-up of, of frustration that's overflown in the, in, the, in the tunnel and prompted this. I mean, not a great look, as I say. And... 
you don't want to see any referees getting abused by by players. But uh, you know the the frustration is understandable. Well, whatever happens, he's not going to be involved at Fulham on Monday night. Nor's Malo Gusto. Somebody's going to have to play right back though. Uh, we'll have a chat about who that might be next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So it's Fulham against Chelsea on Monday night. Uh, Scuba Steve asks, for Fulham, a false nine, a 4-4-2 with Sterling and a partner up top, or Breuer starts at the top of a 4-2-3-1? Uh, Liam, he's got a decision to make here, Maurizio Pochettino, hasn't he? Does it feel unlikely to you that, that Breuer will start this match? And if not, are you going with, with Sterling up there instead? Or, or maybe even David Washington? It doesn't seem like David Washington is in that particular discussion within Chelsea. Uh, based on what Pochettino said ahead of the Brighton game, they were looking internally at Breuer playing maximum 25, 30 minutes. As it was, he played quite a bit less than that off the bench. And he looked okay. He was mo- he was moving pretty well. But I think he's still at a stage of his recovery where you have to be really careful about overextending him. He hasn't got the conditioning in his legs to handle big Premier League minutes, I, I don't think at, at real Premier League intensity. Even though they have they have spent a lot, quite a long time ramping him up in training, so it will be an interesting decision. But I I would be surprised to see Breuer start the game. I would imagine he'll be he'll be on the bench with a view to maybe being involved a little bit earlier in the second half, depending on what the game state is. But that if he doesn't play, like you say that that creates a an interesting question for Pochettino because he doesn't have a true nine unless you really do want to throw David Washington in there to put in that position. And Pochettino hasn't seemed like a false nine type of coach so far. So we'll 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 see. We'll see what the combinations are. I think it'll be just as much about the the chemistry of that attacking unit as it will be just the number nine position. Dom, if Chelsea don't have a true number nine for this game, you could be harsh and maybe say the same uh, Fulham. Uh, like Chelsea, they've only scored five goals in the Premier League this season, missing Alexander Mitrovic, of course. What what have you made of them so far this season? Vinicius got a goal for them midweek, didn't he, against Norwich? But they've not blown anybody away yet. No, and he literally couldn't miss against Norwich either. He was underneath the crossbar and he just touched it in over the line, stole it from a teammate, basically. I watched them play... At Palace on Saturday. Uh, I'm conscious that this time last week I sat here saying that Villa were there for the taking and other than Diaby would offer very little threat and got, well, I don't know if I got proved wrong particularly. I think they probably were there for the taking for Chelsea at, at the weekend, but just Chelsea didn't take their chances. Fulham, in contrast, I thought were 
pretty impressive at Sellers Park in a in an industrious type of way. And I mean, they've got a lot of pace on the flank with Robinson. We all know about William and what he offers and the, and the the nuisance value that he would he will have. De Cordova Reed was again quite pesky, but everything everything about Fulham is centered upon Yao Palinia in midfield and Palace actually put a player on him. Um Liam's favourite man, Jeffrey, big big Jeffrey Schlupp, sat on him for most of the, the game and attempted to snuff him out but but couldn't. And I wonder whether that in an away game at at Craven Cottage where so much of their play goes through one man, if you can get somebody like a Connor Gallagher, for example, to to buzz around him all the time and try and starve him of time and possession and, and, and influence on the contest and maybe that that offers you a bit more joy and a bit more space to your to your teammates um further up the pitch and you know whether Raheem Sterling is is leading the line they, they, they don't have enough a lot of natural pace at the back you know Diop is huge and 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 Tim Ream is having a bit of an Indian summer in his career but Raheem Sterling running at those two through the middle you know you you might have some joy on that but that they're solid, but that's really what they are. And you're absolutely right about the the, the lack of of a goal scorer, Mitrovic. I mean, Raul Jimenez had a couple of very good chances against Palace, but I, I don't think he scored a goal in about twelve years. Unfortunately, poor fellow. I mean, he's 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 just not been the same player since the head injury. Unfortunately, that he sustained while whilst playing for Wolves, and he just looked like a, you know the first thing that that goes wrong for him in a game, it really affects him. You can tell that the confidence isn't isn't really there. But the flip side of that is that at some point, Raul Jimenez will score a goal. And I spent the entirety of Saturday whilst he was on the pitch and he, he didn't last the 90 minutes. I think he, he went off with about well, 10, 15 minutes to go. But I, st- I sat there fretting that we were going to, Palace were going to be the team that conceded that goal to Raul Jimenez for the first time. Didn't happen. I think we know what might happen on Monday. <laughs> Bring back Brian McBride. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this idea of treating Xiao Polina as like mid-2000s Andrea Pirlo. Are you choosing Conor Gallagher for his Park Ji-sung qualities? <laughs> he's not, I mean, he's not, he's clearly not that, but it's just when a player is so obviously better than everybody else around them in the, in a team, then then it gives that impression, doesn't it? And that's, it's all, the levels are relative here, but he's... He is outstanding. He got booked very early on on Saturday, and I thought, "Oh, there's a chance here. He might do something stupid, or his influence might might wane a bit." But I, he, he, it didn't. It didn't. He, he, he's a very clever footballer, and his positioning and and the way he sets the tempo of that team, it really dictates how Fulham approach a game. And you can see how panicked they must have been when he was flying over to Munich to complete his medical on deadline day um, and how relieved they would have been in many ways that, that he uh, they couldn't find a, a replacement for him and therefore his his move didn't go through. I mean, I imagine that get revisited in January, but, but until then, yeah, he is the influence on Fulham. You stop him playing, you probably stop Fulham playing. All right, so maybe that is Conor Gallagher then. Um, what about fullbacks, Liam? Mark Gugurea, we think, probably did enough to to deserve a place in the team that's likely to be at left-back, I guess, although, you know, maybe one day we'll see Ian Martin there. Who's going to play right-back if um, with Gusto being suspended and, and Kukurea needed on the other side? Is that Dizazi for you or, or are you going with somebody else? Yeah, I don't think there are a ton of options for this particular game. 
I think what could make the most sense is to have Dizassi at right back. He has shown flashes of being able to bomb forward with the ball without the ball. I'm not sure how much of an idea he has of what to do once he gets there, but he gets there and he can get back when when Chelsea needs to transition to defence. And I suppose the one good thing is that you know from pre-season that Levi Colwell and Thiago Silva have some kind of residual chemistry as a pairing because they they spent most of the trip in the US with their, their minutes paired as a partnership. And it would actually just be quite nice to see Levi Colwell get a bit of time at centre-back because I think we saw against Brighton when he had a sustained stretch there, you could see a lot more of his progressive passing. I mean, that, to be fair, has been something that Silva has been able to bring from the left centre-back position. His passing, and I wrote a piece about this, um, his passing against Aston Villa was superb. He was basically Chelsea's primary playmaker in that game. But that's that's maybe the part of Colwell's skill set that most intrigues and excites people as a modern ball-playing centre-back. And when he's at left-back, he just doesn't get as many opportunities to play those passes. The angles aren't quite the same for him to to clip balls in behind or or rattle those little low passes into feet of Jackson and Mudrick between the lines. Uh, so that would be nice to see. And I think he also needs time to learn at, at Chelsea as a regular Premier League centre-back because in the long term, that's where he's going to be. You not think that Kukurea's second-half performance means that he'll just play it right back and Levi Cole will push out to the left and you just have De Zazi and Thiago Silva in the middle again? Possibly. Yeah, possibly. That's the other option. I suppose you might feel a little bit better about having Kukurea at right back against Fulham because if you're prepared to put him there against Mitoma and Estupinian and you live to tell the tale just about Fulham wouldn't hold as many fears. So yeah, you you maybe you're right, Don. Maybe that's that's probably the the path of less resistance in terms of picking the back four for Fulham. But I guess we've just detailed two possible options, haven't we? I thought <laughs> in my sleep deprived state, I thought Chelsea only had one, but they've got two possible combinations they can go with. Robinson is quick. Robinson is a, a problem from left back. I think if you've got Robinson, Pereira and William on that flank, maybe you want to a natural right-sided player playing right back for you, potentially. But but yeah, I just wonder whether you're right. I think Matoma, I mean, William now isn't as good as Matoma is now. Obviously, William in his prime would have been a very different prospect. Let's um, not tempt the William fates. <laughs> this, this already went very wrong last season. He is good. I mean, he's still got it. He's still got something, I have to say. Yeah, I guess the other option would be to put Kukurea right back and Ian Martin at left back because he is actually a left back, not that you'd know it from his Chelsea career uh, <laughs> so far. And then you'd only have one member of the back four playing out of position. But we shall see. That will happen on Monday. Uh, before that, there's a very big game at Stamford Bridge to come this weekend. We'll have a look ahead to it next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Chelsea begin the defence of their WSL title on Sunday. The new season gets underway with the Blues taking on Tottenham Hotspur at Stamford Bridge. Emma Hayside going in search of a fifth successive league title. Uh, we're going to bring in producer Lucy to help us talk about the women's team here. And um, The first question that I've got for you, Lucy, is... Is the motivation going to be the same for Emma Hayes and co for the WSL this season, given that they've won it with such ease for the last few years? Or, or are they going to be putting all their eggs in the Champions League basket this time around? I think five in a row does sound quite nice. And obviously they did get pushed more than they're kind of used to maybe by Manchester United last season. And it feels like the other teams have strengthened quite significantly. Obviously Arsenal getting a lot of players back. Manchester United signing the World Cup Golden Boot winner, Miyazawa. Manchester City should be better as well. So there is a lot of competition. But yeah, obviously the Champions League has eluded them for a very, very long time now. And Emma Hayes has kind of made signings with international experience, filling the void that Magdalena Eriksson and Penilla Harder will leave behind, which does surely show their intent to go as deep as they can in that competition after falling so short of late. Hmm. Some decent arrivals by the looks of things. Katerina Macario, my official, Sioka Nuskin and Hannah Hampton. But Liam, as Lucy says, Ericsson and Penilla Harder, not just for what they do on the pitch, but they're big characters to try and replace in the dressing room, right? Massive figures. I think Magda Ericsson in particular was a real culture setter there. Someone who already had leadership qualities when she arrived, but but grew into the captaincy. And of course, Penilla Harder arrived with the reputation of being one of the best attacking players in Europe, uh, able to impact the, the very biggest games. So, yeah, they are they are two big players to lose at the same time. But I also think that Emma Hayes has been kind of succession planning for the last couple of years. It did feel like, to me at least, the signing of Kadisha Buchanan last summer was partly maybe with an eye on, on Magda Eriksson's eventual departure. And so Buchanan and Bright, I think it starts the WSL as maybe the strongest centre-back pairing in the league and one of the strongest in Europe. So I, I, I'm not sure how much they'll miss them on the pitch on a week-to-week basis in WSL. There may be times in like big head-to-head games or big Champions League knockout games where their influence is missed a little bit. But this squad also has a lot of captains and a lot of leaders. And so I do think there will be people ready and waiting to step up. Tom, it comes off the back of the World Cup, obviously. Chelsea, no World Cup winners in their squad. But I feel like Sam Kerr and maybe Lauren James coming back with a 
point to prove it. It was such a big thing for Sam Kerr in her career, wasn't it? An injury kind of scuppered her having the influence she would have wanted other than that outrageous goal that she scored against England. And, and Lauren James, obviously, with the red card, there's going to be a, a bit more focus on her than, than there, there was last season. Yeah, yeah, there will be. It won't be like David Beckham coming back in 98 after the, the tournament in France. But there will be scrutiny on her because people will remember how brilliant she was up until that red card. I mean, the, the uh, some of the performances being put out there and, and the, the fact that she was providing everything. She was providing, you know, a conveyor belt of assists and, and scoring goals herself and just looked a cut above in many ways and was really offering England something different that that would set them apart in the in the tournament and then it all the momentum got got drained with that moment of madness in in with the dismissal so yes yeah, you'll feel as if she wants to to make a a positive impression and and I, I, I really don't think there'll be a there'll be a sort of negativity around her particularly I don't think the supporters will deal with that in the same way that Beckham endured at all I mean it won't even be come close to that but for her to sort of regain a bit of momentum in her own career yes it will I think that will be an objective and with Sam Kerr yeah I mean it just just felt dreadfully unfair that here was a tournament that it was ready made for her to to really stamp her name all over it on home soil um and and be the the star of the Matildas team and then for the injury to happen and it's so untimely and just again wrecked all the momentum for her and also probably affected the or seriously affected the Australian team as well. Um, they sort of got through eventually into the latter stages, but I don't think we ever saw, even with the flashes of brilliance that, that she did offer, we didn't see her really doing what we thought she would tear it up on, on home territory. Didn't we? That, that was This was going to be her moment and, and she was denied that. So, so yeah, hopefully she'll, she'll all that frustration that she will undoubtedly be feeling. She will channel, in a way that benefits Chelsea uh, and maybe allows them to, you know, to make that mark in the Champions League that's been elusive at times in recent seasons. I think the most important thing to say with with Lauren James heading into this season is that she's 21. If you're looking at anyone in this Chelsea squad who can make a big leap forward in terms of their performance level, you'd have to say purely by virtue of her youth, it's probably Lauren James. And this is someone that, people throughout the football world and certainly at Chelsea believe has only really scratched the surface of what she can be as a player. This is someone who some people think can be the best women's footballer in the world. That is regarded as her ceiling. So I think Chelsea will want to see progress on that front this season, her to take another step forward. And I I agree with what Dom said. I think after what she experienced with England in the summer, she's only going to be more, even more motivated to try and realise that potential. And Lucy, in terms of Sunday's game, looking on the face of it, Spurs is a fairly gentle start. I mean, Chelsea have won their last 12 games against Tottenham. They've got a new coach though, Robert Villaham. Uh, they only won five of their 22 league games 
uh, last season. But we saw this at the start of the 2019-20 season, didn't they? When they played Spurs at Stamford Bridge, struggled to get past them. Bethany England won the goal. She's the Tottenham captain nowadays. It's, it's got the potential to be a banana skin, but it's a game Chelsea need to win, don't they? Because they go to City after that. They've got to play Brighton in the first couple of weeks as well, who are always a tricky opponent, and Villa. So you want to be starting with three points. We saw last season when they didn't at Liverpool, they're playing catch-up for a little bit of the season thereafter. Yeah, I was going to say, we've obviously got evidence after that shock defeat at Liverpool. And we should actually mention it's obviously going to be a really emotional day for Emma Hayes as well, because she announced in midweek that her dad, Sid, uh, had sadly passed away and he was such a huge part of her career and really, really kind of played an integral part in in the coach that she's become. So I think it will be a really emotional day for everyone, but they certainly have far, far, far more quality than Tottenham. No Beth England, unfortunately, she's got a hip injury and it's a bit of a weird one, I think. They've sort of said she had this surgery, but no one seems to exactly know what's going on with it or how long she's going to be out for. So, yeah, as you mentioned, the new coach as well, he'll have a point to prove, but they were pretty terrible last season under Rianne Skinner and went on a really bad run before she got replaced. So, yeah, they should be confident, but we have seen stranger things happen. Expecting a big crowd at Stamford Bridge. I've just had a look. There's still tickets available and they start from 12 quid. So if you want to go and see a Chelsea team that is fluid, attacking, scores loads of goals, get yourself down there. Um, another note from the women's team. Uh, reports as we record on Thursday morning that Chelsea's new partnership with Lindahl's, which is a protein pudding, includes an agreement that the dairy brand will subsidise supporters away travel for domestic games and uh, that means that Chelsea fans can go via coach for 15 quid that starts with Man City away on the 8th of October I think that's a really clever piece of marketing Liam from Lindahl's protein pudding which I've got to say is not a brand that I was particularly familiar with um, before this morning but they're, they're obviously playing on, on what's happened with the, the subsidy for, for away travel to men's games and, and that's a nice easy win for them and and we'll make people aware of the brand and also think that might be my protein pudding of choice from from this point onwards. Yeah, surge to the top of the protein pudding rankings, which is <laughs> a, I think, a hotly contested market. It's certainly a, a very topical PR move. And if the situation is that the club are not willing to, to subsidise that travel, which they've made clear uh, on the men and the women's side in the last couple of months then either fans have to foot the bill or sponsorship has to be found and so it's a ultimately just a positive thing for fans isn't it because they're not they're not having to stump up the extra cash to to travel and I think that's in some ways even more important with the women's team because they're trying to they're trying to build this organic hardcore following from scratch really over the last few years. And I think they've done an excellent job of that and anything that they can offer fans to make it more attractive to follow the team home and away, uh, I, I think is only going to help grow the club support and, and grow the wider women's game. Dom, just quickly, uh, if I had to push you for a, a favourite flavour of Lindahl's protein pudding, would you be saying raspberry, vanilla, lemon cheesecake, banoffee pie, coconut, peach and passion fruit or white chocolate? Banoffee pie. Yeah, I think same for me, actually, Liam. Just thinking a, a, a white chocolate protein pudding stirs Sounds up very revolting, mixed... doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it stirs up very mixed emotions in me. Um, I'd probably go for a sort of standard fruit flavour in this situation, maybe strawberry. I don't want a protein pudding to be too much like a dessert, like a pudding. And it's it's kind of 
yeah, bit of a strange one. <laughs> Luce, I've got you down as a, a raspberry girl. Would that be fair? I actually had raspberry jelly when I got home last night. It's like my favourite treat. <laughs> I made jelly for myself. I would have said cheesecake, though. Big fan of cheesecake. All right. Uh, Lindals, if you're listening, you want to sponsor the pod, uh, please do <laughs> drop us a line. We're more than open to it. Well, you probably don't need to now, do you? Just said Lindals like 50 times in about three minutes. Anyway, uh, let's move on from the women's team. <laughs> Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the Dev squad picked up two points from their Tuesday night trip to Northampton in the Football League trophy. Honestly, they did two points. If games are drawn in the group stage of that competition, there's a penalty shootout, winner gets a bonus point. Uh, people struggle to take it seriously. Madness. Uh, Ronnie Stutter, yeah, and Michael Golding got the goals in the 90. Chelsea scored all their penalties. Eddie Beach saved one of Northampton's. Another blazed over the bar. It means Chelsea can qualify for the knockout stages, but to do so, they'll need to be Oxford in their final group game. That's at the Kassam Stadium on the 7th of November. Uh, the next game for the under-21s is away to Spurs on Monday in PL2. And meanwhile, the under-18s will welcome Arsenal to Cobham on Saturday morning in their Premier League. Next today, it's quiz time. Oh, Liam, this is what we've all been building up to all show, isn't it? It's been a it's been a rough few weeks for you. Have you been been boning up on Chelsea versus Fulham? It's been what boning up? Is that That's not a common phrase? Been too busy boning up on protein puddings. <laughs> all right, let's see how you get on, uh, Dom. You're going first. Which member of Chelsea's current squad was signed from Fulham? Marcus Bettinelli. Oh, easy as you like. He's in good form at the moment. It's five field. This is going to be... Oh, Lucy says, this is so easy. Wow. My easiest <laughs> ever quiz. Okay, you better get working on the tiebreaker then, Lucy. Lucy, my biggest flaw with these <laughs> quizzes is that I feel pressure. <laughs> it's just been ramped up, hasn't it? It's a controversial production. Uh, Bettinelli, Liam, isn't the only goalie Chelsea have signed from Fulham. Which keeper made the same move back in 2013? Mark Schwarzer. Yeah, this is too easy, isn't it? All right. It gets trickier to write them, listen, I've got to say. Uh, Dom, this might be your hardest question. We all know that last season at Craven Cottage, Joao Felix got sent off on his Chelsea debut. But who scored the Chelsea goal in the 2-1 defeat? Um... Ula Bali. Oh, he's just playing with us. Kaladu Koulibaly, remember him. Liam, second question. David Datro Fafana made his Stamford Bridge bow as a sub against Fulham in February. Where is he spending the season on loan? Union Berlin. Yeah, this is way too easy. I'm disappointed in myself. Dom, final question of regular time. Um, still waiting for the tiebreaker. Oh, here it comes. Uh, which former Chelsea and Fulham player made headlines in January of this year after trekking up a mountain in just a hat, shorts and shoes in temperatures of minus 19? You say that again? Which former Chelsea and Fulham player made headlines in January of this year after trekking up a mountain in just a hat, shorts and shoes in temperatures of minus 19? Jeez. January this year. Um, blimey. I can tell you it wasn't Clive Walker. Are we talking that era? No. <laughs> there was another bit of a clue in the question, but because of the battering I've taken for the ease of it, I've removed that. So, uh, hmm. 
by battering you just mean the muted disdain of Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Chelsea player, 20, January, so he's gone up a mountain in short, so he's probably quite young. Oh, God. I, I have no idea. Thomas Callas. Lim. I was expecting that to be right, given Dom's form. <laughs> um, Andre Scherler? Andre Scherler is correct. Yes, the extra bit would have been uh, that he retired in 2020. Uh, by my maths, that means you've won, Liam. Would you like your, your final question anyway? Oh, oh, oh hang on. This? No, yeah, you've got to get <laughs> yeah, it right. Steal it. Ramp up the pressure even more. <laughs> we were, I, I've absolutely fallen apart here. It's going to be a long period of self-reflection for me after this. This does not slip race. now. Come on, Liam. You cannot let this go. Right, tap it in. According to Transfer Mark, Liam, which defender was the last player to sign for Fulham from Chelsea for a fee? Absolute silence. Liam always looks out the window when he's thinking, whereas Dom rubs his temples. You might like to know this, Liam. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I should start rubbing my temples given the success of those relative <laughs> strategies. Uh, are, are we going back to Thomas Callas again? We are not. No. Dom, you can steal it to force the tie break. Michael Hector. Oh, he's right as well. It is Michael Hector. Only yes. because I did an interview with him about uh. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the tiebreaker. How many Premier League minutes has Willian played this season? Nearest wins, basically. Uh, Liam, you can go first. <laughs> Calculating the number of minutes available. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Three. I'm going to say 420. Dumb. I'm going to go considerably less than that because I think he missed the first couple of games. So 300. And once again, Liam, I'm afraid to tell you that Dom has won. It was 263. So that's actually a pretty good guess, Dom. Um, I mean, you've won, but I don't think anybody really has, have they? I sort of feel as if, you know, Premier League Championship, and we've always talked about the gulf between the two. <laughs> but today, I sort of feel as if that gulf, it's almost like, I don't know, a, a Leicester City situation as opposed to a Luton Town situation. Maybe that means you do some parachute payments, Liam. I've just been working on my low block. <laughs> my my two banks of four and my, and my big man and fast runner up front. All right. Well, look, I, I need to issue a, an apology to, to everybody involved listeners producers contestants that was not a good quiz on my part i'll try much harder next week i promise um that's going to bring this show to an end um we will be dropping our next one on tuesday obviously because chelsea are playing on monday night so keep an eye out for that at so cobham pod is the place to follow us on twitter liam what you got in the pipeline please for people to enjoy well i have my match piece from the brighton game for people to read about chelsea fighting for their confidence and their luck there's also a piece currently on The Athletic about Thiago Silva and the trade-offs of his prominence in the team, which I think will be very relevant as we look again towards Fulham. I'm sure he'll be back for that one in some form. Uh, and then Simon's doing the Fulham game 
So I, I, I'm just I'm just going to be getting my car repaired and making sure it's got a full tank because I have the the long trip to Burnley that I'm already thinking about. <laughs> um, Dom, is there anything you'd like to point people in the direction of up on the site now? Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that Liam hasn't mentioned it. Quite frankly, um, we got Liam to go to the local greengrocers this week and work out the healing, both spiritual and uh, medicinal qualities of uh, lemons. What did you find out, Liam? Uh, they're, they're a wonder fruit. They're a sacred wonder fruit. No, this was uh, clearly about Pochettino's belief in the ability of lemons to absorb bad energy. Maybe the first signs of it against Brighton, as referenced in my voice note. He's been doing it for a long time, became famous for it at Tottenham. Still has a big box of them in his office at Cobham. Uh, and so we were just providing a bit of lighthearted background into lemons and their history in the spiritual and football traditions. It's by far the most important piece I've ever written. <laughs> just off the back of that, I should remind you that um, Lindahl's do do a lemon cheesecake flavour of uh, protein <laughs> pudding. <laughs> Will we have some to eat on the show on Tuesday? Probably not. If you want to send us some, that's absolutely fine. Athletic.com slash Chelsea is the place to go to sign up. It's only going to cost you a pound a month and make sure you do it now. Yes, Liam? We haven't even got our Green King pints yet. <laughs> You're canvassing for new sponsors. Uh, we just want free stuff, basically. That's that's that's, that's what we're saying. Um, thank you so much for your company today. As I say, back on Tuesday, reflecting on Fulham and on the WSL game as well. There'll be plenty of other stuff to talk about too, so join us for that if you can. From all of us here, though, for now, it's goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>